Hey there, Omaha. Welcome into another episode of Restaurant Hoppin'. I've got a special guest for you today. He is a culinary consultant at Cisco, but that is just the latest in a long line of restaurant jobs that he's held. Uh, I'm Dan Hoppin, your host, and my guest today is a member of the 2020 class for the Omaha Hospitality Hall of Fame, Michael Rhodes. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Dan. It's my pleasure. Um, so I had Dan Watts, who is one of your colleagues at Cisco, on earlier this year, and and he kind of described the role of culinary consultant. But I want to hear it from you. What what exactly does that mean? When I hear that title, it's just like, well, that sounds awesome. Somebody who like consults about food. But what does it mean exactly? Honestly, it's, it's probably the coolest job I've ever had. It's um, we get to go in and help restaurants succeed, um, redoing recipes, redoing menus helping them innovate their, their menus, uh, bringing it back to a more uh, younger, user-friendly uh, atmosphere because so many people get stuck in a rut and then they don't think to innovate. Uh, and that's kind of where Dan and I come in um, and um, recreate or help them just redo their menus and uh, look at the flow of their kitchen and, and maybe they've got, it, they've got some timing issues or they've got, uh, we can't get the food out. Uh, in a timely manner. So we kind of reshuffle their kitchen around, um, maybe do a little menu mix, uh, circumvention, you know. Uh, yeah, it's a great, great job. Keep things fresh, keep things from going stale. Yep. Can you give me an example? And I'm not asking you to, to like name a restaurant or like use specific names or anything, but can you give me an example of like a recent time you went in and kind of helped somebody re- revamp and refresh? Sure, yeah. Um, the Globe up in the Globe restaurant up in Hardington, they just recently reopened, or not reopened, but opened in an old historic, uh, I think it was a newspaper building in Hardington, Nebraska, which is a little tiny, little tiny space. Um, and they just received like top 15 in the, in the state restaurants to hit last week, which I thought was pretty cool. Oh, yeah. Um, and I, you know, I think I had a lot to do with that. <laughs> Like what? Well, rewriting their menus, helping them, helping okay. them uh, create the specials, helping them create um, what they were actually going to be put in front of people. So, coming into this, I, I kind of asked you to give me a, a rundown of basically your culinary resume, and and you did, and and there's there's a lot on there, and I think one of the most interesting things about going through your resume is. All the different job descriptions. I mean, when I was running down there, there's executive chef, sous chef, kitchen manager, chef liaison, culinary instructor, hotel chef. I think when most people hear the term chef, they associate that with a restaurant chef. Like that, that is just the direct comparison in most people's minds. But can you kind of shine a little bit of a light on all the different type of chef jobs there are out there? It's not just restaurant chef, but there are catering chefs, hotel chefs. I mean, you've worked a lot of these jobs. Can you shine a light a little bit on just all the different opportunities there are in the industry outside of just restaurant chef? So, you know, you're right. Everybody thinks a restaurant. Everybody thinks chef is a restaurant chef, right? But there's country clubs. There's assisted living. There's hospitals. There's... Uh, hotels, there's even instructors. There's a ton of instructors up at, at school at Metro that we, we all have chef titles. titles. Um, and then, then there's con- consultants like uh, Dan and I, which, you know, um, it's just a, a all-encompassing title now, right, that just means a head of a kitchen or in charge of food and beverage. Um, yeah, there's just so many opportunities for 
um, young culinarians to come up and, and do, um, become a chef. And, you know, a lot of people, a lot of my friends that, um, not a lot, but you know, several of my friends, when it came down to pandemic, they said, oh, I'm a restaurant chef. And now my restaurant's closed. And we never thought that we'd be in this position, right? Uh, because we've always had great job security as, as, a, as a culinarian, as a chef. Um, and some of them left restaurants to go to work at um, like assisted living uh, or hospitals. And they're like, how did this miss me? I mean, how did I never know about this? This is the best job I've ever had in my life. I don't have to work nights. I don't have to work, <laughs> you know, weekends. And, and I've got a good quality of life. And so, you know, it's, it's what you want. Um, uh, most young chefs, they want to cut their teeth. They want to make a name for themselves. They want to say, I want to be that restaurant guy, right? I want to be that destination place. I want to be, you know, who is Charlie Trotters or, or you know, whoever it is, uh, whoever they aspire to be. But uh, it's a lot, a lot of work. You know, when I was a young man, um, I did that. I opened up the Flatiron Cafe, took overwhelming success, just um, just a tremendous amount of success, and a lot of a lot of satisfaction, but a lot a lot of hours, a lot of uh, a lot of long hours. And you know, you gotta you gotta weigh that uh, as you get older, um, and like I am, <laughs> um, you kind of weigh that balance of life. You know, what's more important to you? And spend time in the garden spend time at the studio or spend time in somebody else's kitchen. You know, and mm -hmm. I get to do that now. I get to pick and choose that. Mm -hmm. It's pretty cool. You've had a very varied path throughout your career. You've hit a lot of different types of jobs. Um, and then there are some people on the opposite side of it. Some people will start working in one restaurant when they're 18 years old and they'll work there for the next 40 years or whatever it is. Why did you decide to continually move and, and stay mobile with your career versus just hitting that one spot? Or maybe maybe it's not even just one spot, but you find a spot eventually along the road and you're just like, this, you know, this is my home. But you were a little bit more nomadic. Did you choose that? Was that intentional? I think it was. Um, I have um, an alphabet of psychoses, right? Uh, ADD, OCD, uh, ADHD, all of them, right? And I get really bored really quick. And fortunately, I found this career that I can uh, succeed at, excel at, but then go on to the next task or go on to the next job. I'm, I'm done with this place. I'm bored with this food. I'm going to go do this thing. And uh, it, it's the right career for somebody with the alphabet of crazy psychosis that I have. <laughs> so it's... Uh, it, and, you know, you always want to go on, hey, I'm going to, you want to want to improve your, sta your station in life, right? Uh, I, I did this restaurant. It's pretty successful. I'm going to go try to do this. I'm going to go try to work at this hotel. I'm going to try this country club, you know, um, just challenging yourself. Yeah. I, I, I find it, well, I think this is probably one of the few um, careers that you can have and be very mobile, very nomadic, um, and not, not pay, a, not have to start over. Mm -hmm. You know, not have to go back to um, a starting wage or a uh, starting salary. So, And like you said, there are new challenges all the time. There's working at a restaurant. There's opening a restaurant. There's figuring out how to work at a country club. There's becoming a culinary instructor. Like, there are so many different, like, all these jobs are within the restaurant industry, but they're all so different. And that kind of provides that variety that you were looking for. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you find a job that uh, it's, um, very satisfac uh, satisfactory to you, right? You get a great amount of personal satisfaction. Like uh, 
teaching at uh, at the Metro was one of the most rewarding uh, jobs I've ever had. Being able to impart my knowledge uh, onto you know the young minds, the young culinarians of of Omaha, um, is very very satisfying. I, I actually miss that very much. I haven't taught since um, 2011, but then I came back in 2019, and then or no 2020, and then pandemic hit, and it was like yeah, I can't. Yeah, it, it's it's very satisfying. What kind of classes did you teach at Metro? So I taught all the foundation uh, foundation classes. Um, Soup Sauce 101, which is basically knife cuts and professionalism and cleanliness and all that. Um, and then um, proteins and uh, starch and veg. So you, it kind of builds on what you're going to be learning the next year. So it's all the first-year courses. Um, and it was pretty cool because when uh, I always had a, a real job and I taught uh, adjunct, which just means you're a part-time uh, instructor, and if you if I was on Monday nights, then I was if I took Monday nights off from whatever job I was at and I taught you on Monday nights, chances are you were going to stick with me for the whole year. Your whole first four classes were with me on Monday nights or me on Tuesday nights, whatever it was. Um, and you got to know uh, it was a lot of continuity to it. When you when you're able to train somebody or teach somebody uh, in a succession like that, you uh, you can really give them a lot of information, a lot of knowledge that you have Mm -hmm. so it's very satisfying when you look back at that time and you think about some of your most successful students the ones that really shined are there common traits that you identified in them that you can kind of look at now and say these are things that really help someone not only be a great student but once they graduate help them in the industry yeah sure um creativity is one a good attitude is another, um, like what I said when I got here, hey, on time is late. You know, that's one of the things that we strive for as, as culinarians. One of the things we strive for as, as uh, instructors is uh, on time is on time, you know, and on time is now late. So be there, be there early, be there. I mean, there's uh, there's so many things that you can do to outshine somebody else's, like having a positive attitude, showing up on time, having your knives sharpened, be in a pressed jacket, you know, yes, chef, no chef, uh, you know, learning all the rules, you know, behind you when you're, when you're passing behind somebody, uh, when you're carrying a knife, you know, telling everybody that you're carrying a knife. It's just that whole degree of professionalism. And so that's kind of where it all starts, right? And if you see that early in somebody that, um, that say, oh, you know, these, these people get it, right? And then they, and if they throw in that creativity to it, that's an added bonus, Right. Um, and honestly, I would much rather have somebody that doesn't know anything about, uh, culinary arts than somebody that's been doing something the same way for 20 years and screwing things up, mm-hmm. right? Cause they're untrainable 20 years. You've been messing it up for 20 years. Give me, give me 12 people in the kitchen that don't know anything and I'll, I'll get them trained the way that they need to be trained. I've heard that from several chefs is that they'd rather hire someone with little to no experience, someone who's very green but very eager and teachable over someone who has what might be a very impressive resume or a lot of experience, but they're also kind of set in their ways. And they might they might resist doing new things where the young people, they're just they're balls of clay. They sure. can be molded. They can be taught. Yep. So I think that that's a really interesting insight. Yep. Um, 
And, you know, a lot of people think that change is bad. And I don't necessarily think that. Obviously, because I've changed jobs a thousand times. (laughs) Fair enough. So I think that there are a lot of lessons to be learned about the restaurant industry from the various stops in your career. So if it's okay with you, I'd like to kind of jump around and and hit on what I think are some of the really interesting points. Sure. Um, I think the first one is your start. So your dad bought a steakhouse called the Timberline Inn in Evergreen, Colorado in 1974. And you bust tables, scrub pots, peel potatoes, stuff like that at nine years old. I mean, did did you did you find that you enjoyed that work and that's what got you into the restaurant industry? Or was it, or was it more just like, ah, oh, dad owns a restaurant now, he's making me do this? What what were those early days like for you? So I never thought about it as as work, right? It was, if you wanted to see dad, you had to go work at the restaurant. You had to go because that's the way it was, right? Um, it, it's, especially back then, it, it's a very time-consuming profession, right? And it's not very family-friendly. Um, I remember bringing my kids to the restaurant just so I could see them, right? I'm opening a restaurant and we're, we're testing this menu. Hey kids, come on down. We're going to test these, this, you know, four or five item specials tonight. And it was just uh, another reason was it's, it's family meal. So I can come and see my kids, you know, uh, you're working, uh, 80, 90 hours a week, uh, opening up a restaurant and, uh, and you, 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 they get lost, you know, um, Fortunately, I have a wonderful wife that uh, took care of the kids when I was uh, in absence. So, um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know that, um, I, I kind of think that it, that's where it all started, right? You have to have a root somewhere. Um, and then it kind of gets in your blood. Um, and you know, my dad never said, hey, here's how you do this. Here's how you do this. Here's. It's just osmosisly you learn through flavor dynamics and and repetition and watching and you know seeing what goes with what and uh, natural pairings to, of food. Um, the only thing I can ever remember my dad sitting me down and teaching me how to do was trussing a chicken and uh, trussing a, a whole tenderloin, you know, butchering butcher string the whole tenderloin and and trussing a chicken. It's the only thing I remember him ever saying, but. Like I said, you just pick those things up just by being around it so much. Um, and then I started waiting tables when I was 16. And um, you kind of get to see that that portion of it, the front of the house side of it. Um, and then I waited tables and bartended for 11 years before I went to culinary school. And I knew it was, I knew I would have a restaurant job, but I didn't know, you know, I, I, it just kind of evolved. Mm-hmm. You know. I find it so interesting what you just said about watching by learning. And I had a guest on uh, from Le Voltaire a couple weeks ago who said the same thing. He said he almost never asked questions, but he was always just watching and observing other people. And that's how he gained skills and he moved up the chain. Because a lot of times, especially in a busy kitchen, you don't have time to, to stop and ask a question or have somebody teach you how to do something. You just have to pick stuff up on the fly. Yeah. So not only you're not only doing your job, but you're doing your job and being observant of what's going on around you and what the other people are doing, even at other stations. How important was that lesson in your career? Well, I think you can't go into it with blinders on. You can't just be singly uh, job-focused, right? You have, to, you have to listen to what's going on over here because – somebody's barking orders at you over here or somebody's calling out tickets over there. 
somebody's, you know, a, a, a pot may be bubbling over here and it may be boiling too much. And if you listen for that, you could say, okay, I'm not going to scorch that sauce today because I can go and turn it down. You just have to be uh, very spatially aware of everything that's going on in your kitchen um, and o- open to being, to watching somebody else do, do something. Cause you know, we all like to think we're great at what we do, but there's always somebody out there that may know a better way. You know, I've learned more from dishwashers than I have from executive chefs as far as how wow. to, how to do a job, you know, uh, how to peel, you know, 10 pounds of shrimp in 10 minutes. I didn't learn that from a chef. I learned that from a dishwasher. Um, just certain tricks and trades and, and, and shortcuts and, and uh, quicker ways to do things. And that's how you succeed. And that's how you excel. You, you watch somebody else do it. Mm-hmm. So, and then you try to pass those on. I always try to pass those on. I'm, I'm very free with my information. I don't ever want to hold somebody back or hold something over their head because they don't know it. If they don't know it, they don't know it. It's not their fault. They never had to do it. Let's show them how to do it. Let's give them that shortcut. Let's give them that, um, that opportunity. So now you mentioned you, you helped out in your dad's restaurant and then you bartended and waited tables until you were 27 years old. So we're talking at this point, almost two decades of being pretty heavily involved in the restaurant industry before you decided to go to culinary school. What, what was it that just made you decide to go all in at that point? Oh, it's a pretty cool story. Um, my, my girlfriend at the time who's now my wife. Uh, she said, Mike, the only time I ever really see you smile is when you're cooking for somebody. And so she said, I think you need to go to culinary school. I think you need to get out of bartending and waiting tables and go to culinary school because that's the time that you're the most happy is when you're in the kitchen creating for somebody. Um, and so we looked into, um, an apprenticeship program at El Centro Community College, the same same program I teach at, uh, at Metro, same program we have going on here. At the time, this was 92, so it was the sixth-rated uh, culinary school in America at the time. And it was um, a community college, very similar to the top four or five that Metro is now. Um, and it didn't cost me $150,000 to go through, right? Community college is very affordable. Um, and I had the opportunity uh, then to uh, work for some of the really cool chefs uh, in Dallas in the 90s, uh, some of the really cool restaurants. You know, you, you, you start your apprenticeship job, and that's, that's mandated. You have to go and do those 40 hours with that, that chef. Um, and he has to guide you through this book where he gives you a certain amount of hours in each of those stations. Um, but they could be kind of... Uh, creatively, creatively um, void jobs. You're just there as a worker. Um, so in order to learn more about the culinary arts, I would go work with the really cool chefs, you know, Stephen Piles and Dwight Webb. And But, you know, I had a chef that, uh, Dwight Webb, he said, okay, we're going to do this today. Um, and we're going to sit down and we're going to talk about what we want to do this week. And then um, you write the menu. And I'm like the third week I was there, right? And he goes, you write the menu, I want to do your food. I'm like, wow, this is really cool. And he said, uh, that night, he said, you did a great job, which I thought was cool, you know, uh, really pat on the back. And he sat me down in the office and he said, Michael, I want to tell you something. I'm going to teach you something new every single day. And if I don't, I want you to come to me at the end of the shift 
And I want you to say, hey, Dwight, I didn't learn anything today. And I'll show you something, right? And I followed him through three restaurants in three years. And he taught me something new every single day. He held his, he held his word, and it was amazing. It was one of the best experiences you could have as a young culinarian. So it was really cool. And I actually try to do that with people that work for me or people that go to, through, through school with me. Um, you know, try to show them something new every day. And I'm not, maybe not show them, but tell them or, or partake, impart an idea on them. So, I think that that's such a healthy example of something different than so often what the media portrays a chef as is. And I don't think that this is, especially now, maybe more so 15, 20 years ago, but definitely not now. You know, when if you watch movies about chefs or you see Gordon Ramsay screaming on TV, it's the chef is like this, you know, slave driver and they're, you know, yelling at employees, they're throwing stuff and everything. I think it's so cool to have examples like you just mentioned of a guy who not only is not like that, but he's the opposite. He's mm-hmm. nurturing and he's he's identifying talent in someone and saying, okay, what can I do to bring out the best in this person? Right. What kind of an impact did that have on you and on your career? Well, uh, it uh, an amazing impact because now that's how I try to live my life. You know, I try to, I try to give as much knowledge as I can and as much uh, supportive creativity as I can in, in everything I do. Um, you know, the, 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 the days of throwing pots and pans and, and cussing at people are, are gone. You're not going to get ahead by doing that stuff. Nobody's going to, everybody's woke, right? Nobody's, (laughs) no, no, I, I'm a boomer, but I know what that word means. Um, uh, everybody, I mean, you, you can't treat people like that and expect them to succeed or expect them to respect you. Right. I think those those days are gone. I mean, the fear, the fear mongers, uh, they're not successful anymore, you know, and that whole Gordon Ramsay, that whole, you know, Food Network stuff. You look at Guy Fieri. He does a great job because he's very accommodating. Right. He brings you into his fold. He says, what do you got going on? Teach me what you're doing. What makes it so special? Why do you do it this way? You know, and brings his heart into it. Right. Because he's letting the restaurateurs put their heart back on. I do this this way because of my grandmother did it this way or whatever the reason is. Um, but Gordon Ramsay is just a scripted, right. You know, um, I don't think he, I'm not going to say anything negative about, about his chef style. I just, I think it, that that program and those kind of programs are just kind of scripted for drama. Right. Right. But unfortunately that is a lot of times, like the extent of what the public gets to see. And so they think that and perception becomes reality in their minds. And so I think it is so healthy to, to kind of get the other side and get stories like you just told, or even, yeah, I mean, I love watching diners, drive-ins and dives because you get to see that opposite side of it where it's, you know, it's not about yelling and screaming. It's not about being an authoritarian, but it's about telling a story through your food. And Mm -hmm. that's, that's what really matters. And paying homage to the people that came before you. Absolutely. You know, giving, Absolutely. Giving credit where credit's due. And, you know, um, yeah. Now, you moved to Omaha in 1995. You got a chance to work at the French Cafe. And then you mentioned it earlier. You got a chance to open the Flatiron Cafe, which was really a historic restaurant in Omaha until it closed um, due to the pandemic uh, in 2020. 
what was the experience of opening a restaurant like for you? Because that, that was your first one that you opened, right? Yes, it was. Uh, opened as an executive chef. Yes, yes. yes. Uh, opened up several before as an apprentice or um, uh, just on my own. Not my on my own, but with somebody else. Uh, but it was the first one as executive chef. Um, you know, you think about things that you don't really, you've never thought about, like uh, equipment placement. Wow. I never had to think about that. Where am I going to prep all this food? Wow, I never had to think about that. So we created a prep room in the basement. The walk-in was down there. The freezer was down there. We had some prep tables down there. You know, because the kitchen was a 500-square-foot kitchen, including the dish room, right? So it was a tight, tight space. You know, you just think about things like that. What kind of china do I want to use? What kind of silverware do I want to use? What kind of flatware do I want to use? What kind of glassware do we got? How's our wine list? You know, you, you kind of got to, because you, uh, as a chef, you need to know uh, this wine is going to be paired with is going to go great with this. This is going to be this is going to be phenomenal with this salmon dish. Or um, it, so it's a it's the whole circle, the whole environmental circle of it. And you know, dining is a dining is a, an experience, right? Um, from service to atmosphere to food to aura to ambiance. I mean, and if you can capture that. Uh, in a positive light and get all five or six of those components flowing correctly, it's it's magical for people that are sitting there having dinner in your place. You know, if you've got the right server who's chatty just enough, right? Um, the food came out on time. This wine is paired perfectly with this, you know, whatever it is. Um, and that whole experience, it's not just eating anymore. It's, it, it's that, I, that's how I look at it. It's not, I eat, trust me, just for sustenance, but the experience of a well-rounded meal and a nice glass of wine and a good conversation with the people you're with and, and a knowledgeable server that uh, is very attentive but not overbearing, right? Um, I think it's just a, it's a balancing act. Mm-hmm. So, now I'm going to jog your memory a little bit here, but I, I want to take you to back to that first night of service at the Flatiron Cafe. So you, you you get an opportunity to to open your own place. This is your restaurant and you've done all this planning. Everything that you just mentioned, plus I'm sure millions of other little things, tiny little touch points. And then you like it's it's like you have this baby bird and all of a sudden you release this baby bird from the nest and it it's time for it to fly. What was that first night like? Oh gosh. Uh, did the bird crash? No, I think the bird did fine. Okay. Um, you know, I think if you surround, and this is this was um, the philosophy of the flat iron, and uh, surround people, surround yourself with people that uh, are are talented and are passionate about their jobs. Um, you know, I had Dave, Haw- Dave Hawkins was a great grill cook. Tommy Milder was a great grill cook. Uh, Lisa Koch was a wonderful pastry chef and, and salad person. I remember everybody that was a part of that team. John Green was an amazing sous chef, right? Um, and it just, it all clicked. You know, when um, everybody knew what they were supposed to be doing, everybody was passionate about making it right. Um, and, you know, we, we all got the accolades for the success of that place. Um, I, I don't ever remember falling down at that, at that place. But for one, it was where I was, I mean, I'm cutting my teeth there. That's my first big job. I'm four months out of culinary school and I'm an executive chef. This is crazy, right? Um, 
but you, 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 we succeeded because we, we were passionate and we wanted to succeed. And I wanted to succeed because I was going to be in this town for a long time. And I didn't want the first thing that I touched to fail miserably. Right. Um, so, you know, you just, you put your heart and your soul into it and you make it work. And I don't, I don't ever remember falling down at that place, which is crazy because I can remember falling down, uh, at other restaurants and at other, <laughs> other establishments. Um, yeah, I was fortunate, very mm-hmm. fortunate, very fortunate to be, um, in that space at that time with the same team, uh, and not just the kitchen, but the, the front of the house team as well. Um, I think a lot of chefs and I maybe have, uh, an unfair advantage because I spent 11 years in the front of the house. So I, I don't yell at, at wait staff. I try not to. And if I do, I always, hey, sorry, you know, let's, let's hug, make up. And, uh, you know, just because you say, people say things in the heat of the moment. And it's rarely ever meant. Um, just as long as you go back and say, hey, it was heat of the moment. We're still friends. We just have a job to do. So When you look back, and I know it's probably not possible for, for every chef or every restaurant worker to get, that front of the house experience too, but how much do you value that time that you got in the front of the house? So you could kind of see both sides of the operation. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a, there's an old saying, there's a reason why you're in the kitchen, right? Cause <laughs> maybe you're socially awkward or you're just, um, I don't know, not, not, uh, I, I have a, an unfair advantage that way, right? I can, I can go to a table and I can sp- speak intelligently to them about, food and wine and, and service and um, just because I've done it, you know, and, and so many culinarians are just in the kitchen. They don't ever get to um, explore that side. Um, yeah. So obviously, you know, you, you moved on from the flat iron and you had several other jobs. So I'm, I'm just kind of, I'm curious when you get the news in 2020 that the flat iron is closing what are those emotions like for you i'm sure that there's some sadness but you've also had a lot of distance from the restaurant just kind of what hit you in that moment you know honestly it was uh and kathleen actually uh called me and asked me if i'd like to buy the flat iron when she was when she knew she wasn't going to reopen um and you know that's that's pretty flattering and it would have been kind of um iconic to be able to go back to where i was and cut my teeth and and be the chef at the Flatiron and the owner of the Flatiron again, or a part of the Flatiron again. Um, but it's uh, then I think like, gosh, eighty, ninety hour work weeks. Uh, I did not <laughs> miss that, you know. Um, I got a great balance of life. My wife would kill me <laughs> if I went back to a restaurant job. Um, yeah, I I I enjoy. I enjoy what I have now, so it'd be hard. It'd be hard to get me back to a restaurant, really would. Um, although you know, I always look at a place. Oh wow, that make that make a really cool restaurant. Look at that little place. That'd be really slick. I could get twenty six seats in there. You know, it could be just me and another person in the kitchen. We could do really cool food. Um, there's always a pipe, you know, always a pipe dream working in your head. You know, so. We spoke earlier about how restaurant chef is not the only 
definition of chef. But so far in this conversation, we've focused mostly on working in restaurants. So I want to shift the focus a little bit. You've spent time working at multiple country clubs, including what is now Champions Run and the Omaha Country Club. Can you just kind of shine a light on how working in those environments differs from operating a restaurant? Sure. Um, you know, I, I don't do... Country clubs are, are a whole different kind of monster. If you have 500 members, you have 500 bosses. And I, I, don't, I don't shine in that arena, right? I'm, more, I'm better with like one or two people that I have to answer to. Um, so it, it, it's a cool environment. Um, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of balls in the air when you're, when you're juggling a, a chef job at a, at a country club or at a hotel. Um, both of them, you have to have several roles, and a lot of a lot of it is people pleasing. And you know, you would think with my demeanor that I would be excel at that, right? But it's just um, maybe I have a little bit too much of my dad in me, where I uh, I just don't take orders well. I don't take uh, I take direction well from one or two people, but not orders from a group of people. Mm-hmm. So, um, although it was very exciting for me, and I learned a lot. It was it was not not my not my forte not my not my best positions. Now we've touched on a bit a bunch of different various stops that you've had in your career, and I think they all kind of gave you something different. There there were different things that you could pull from each of those. When you look back and kind of take the thirty thousand foot view of all the different places you've been, can you see how? each of these stops has given you individual traits or maybe shaped you in a way that has helped you become the chef and the culinary consultant that you are now? hundred percent, a hundred percent. So every job, and I tell my wife this, uh, every job I've ever had, has kind of funneled me into a position like I have now as a culinary consultant. I think um, all of the experiences that I've accumulated, I can share now with uh, and and in part though, and maybe help somebody not make so many mistakes, or, or you know, hey, this is a this is a misstep. We're gonna you're gonna regret that. Let's let's look at doing something else, and use my all of my uh, mistakes and failures to to help others succeed. Um, so yeah, it has it has all of the experiences has kind of rolled me into this uh, a position like this a, a career like this. Mm-hmm. Now, you were a, like I mentioned earlier, a 2020 inductee into the Omaha Hospitality Hall of Fame. That sounds really impressive. Like, it's it's a cool title, but I don't really know what it means, and I'm guessing probably a lot of my listeners don't really know exactly what that means either. Can you kind of outline what an honor that is and what it felt like to you to get inducted? Oh, sure. Uh, well, we, I, I got nominated and was informed that I've been inducted. The, the ceremony is actually in October 22 because we've taken a two-year hiatus yep. for, for pandemic. Um, you know, it's, it's for us locally here, that it's our Oscars, right? It's, it's every chef, every restaurateur, uh, every purveyor, they want to be listed as somebody that has helped shape uh, – the Omaha culinary scene. Uh, and you have to, you have to be in the Omaha culinary scene for 25 years minimum. Oh, wow. Before you can, before they even consider your nomination. Um, so it just means that I'm old really. It's, it's the only, 
the only thing that really matters. No, but all my all my peers, all the people that I really look up to, um, a lot of my friends are on the wall. Um, and it's if you haven't seen it, it's pretty impressive. It's at uh, is ICA. It, is this at Metro? Mm-hmm, at yes, ICA, I have seen it. Yeah, yeah, that big hallway that's got. Uh, um, and it's 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 a huge honor. You know, nationally, a James Beard Award is is the Oscars for the national. You know, the big big chefs, right? Um, but for us local, it's it's the Wall of Fame. You know, it, it's something that I've strived for for twenty five years. I want to be on the Hall of Fame, right? Wow. So, just a little piece of, of kudos, right? A little pat on the back. And of course, there's a global pandemic that makes you wait just a little bit a longer. A little bit longer, yeah. But it'll be all that much sweeter once you do get on that wall. Yeah. yeah and hopefully. Your, your career has, you've well deserved it. Thank I, you. I'll say that. Um, as we kind of wind down here, there's, there's two questions that I like to ask uh, really just people from all over in the industry. And the first one is this. What what is one thing that most diners don't understand about the restaurant industry that you wish they did? Wow, uh, that's a really good question. I would say, how much goes into each plate that goes? I mean, how much, how how long they've had to work on that one plate? Um, I'll, I'll tell you a story. Um, so I had a prep cook for me, uh, at the Flatiron Cafe. And we, we would roll, we would prep 50 fillets a day and 50 potato towers, right? Um, it's a mashed potato inside of an egg roll and fried. And every day I had my prep cook roll 50, uh, potato egg rolls, basically, right? Potato towers, what we called them. Um, and he like three months into it, he goes, chef, I'm really tired of rolling these. Can we pick another starch for this? And I says, uh, come back tonight. I'll buy you a couple glasses of wine. I'll buy you dinner. And you sit at the bar and you watch the face of the people that receive that potato tower when it gets to their table and the joy that they, uh, that's in their face when they, when that gets set down in front of them. And he, he came back the next morning and says, I'll never complain about doing a potato tower again. That was the coolest thing ever. You know, um, that, that's a great story. Um, did I answer your question? Yeah. No, I, I think you did because when those people were receiving the p- potato towers, I'm assuming they, they looked really impressive and people were just like, whoa, this is yeah. awesome. But your prep cook was not thinking that as he's making them because he's made... He didn't see the end picture. Yeah, he's made thousands of these. All he sees is here's another potato that I have to roll, that I have to create, and then it gets shipped off somewhere. Yeah. So he wasn't it's kind of the having visibility on both sides he wasn't seeing the diner and how much they appreciated it and the diner while they were appreciating the food didn't really understand the what it took for that that uh that potato tower to get on their plate the the final product yeah the final presentation gotcha no that totally makes sense that was a great answer to the question i think that 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 helps a lot and then years later, uh, you know, Jennifer Coco took over for me at the, at the Flatiron Cafe. She was the next chef in line. And uh, her sous chef had been there for 13 years with her. And he came up to me at a, at a charity event. He says, why the hell did you ever create the potato tower? That's the most <laughs> ridiculous thing ever. I'm so tired of rolling. There's still, it, I mean, it was on the menu to the, to the end to of the, the very end. to the very end. So, and they all complain about it. You know, they all complain <laughs> about making the potato towers, but they were delicious and they were great. And they were, they, they presented well and. 
it was very dramatic to get that on your table. Well, maybe some more of those cooks just need to go take a night at the bar, and just have a glass of wine, and just look around. Yeah, yeah, enjoy the uh, ambiance of it. Yeah. All right. Uh, the last question I got for you is: over all your experiences that you've had, what is your favorite part of working in the restaurant industry? Probably the most passionate thing that I'm uh, the, the carries the most passion with me is 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 giving to others is is imparting that knowledge right so that what i know doesn't die with with me right um and that i can hopefully help help somebody else shine help somebody else succeed help somebody else uh run a great restaurant that that to me i mean there's no there's no bigger uh accolades than somebody that worked for me for three years to go to the next chef and say, well, you know, I worked for Michael Rhodes for the last three years and that chef going, well, okay, you have a job because I know that Michael Rhodes trained you right. And, you know, there's no bigger compliment as a chef that, that the next guy or the, the, that position that they go to the next, they go, wow. Yeah. You know your stuff because you got trained by Michael Rhodes. There's no bigger compliment. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. Well, Michael, thank you so much for coming on today. It was really fun to kind of go through your career and I think just learn so many different things, you know, as someone who, someone who's receiving the potato tower versus making it, I think, you know, this was an opportunity to learn so much about that and, and kind of see what the other side is like. So thank you so much for giving of your time and coming on the pod today. I got to ask you, do you eat out every single day? I do not. (laughs) It seems like it because I'm always posting on social media, but I, I do not eat out every single day. Okay. Can I give a shout-out to somebody? Give a shout-out to somebody. So I've got, uh, it's, it's my, uh, here, try this crew, right? My two daughters, Nikki and Sid, my son, Mitchell, and my wife. They are my guinea pigs. We, we, I get to try so many food things on them. So that's my, that's my hey, try this. That's my crew. So Shout-out to the shout hey, to try the, this crew. <laughs> shout-out to my kids, yeah. Important to give the family some props, Absolutely. Too. Absolutely. All right. Thank you, Michael. Thanks for having me, Dan. And Omaha, as always, thanks for eating with us. A Huda Media Production.